0: Welcome back to the Carnivore Yogi Podcast. This is episode 37, and today I spoke with Rob Wolf, who is the father of Paleo. If you are listening to my show and you've never heard of Rob Wolf before, I'm actually going to be shocked. (laughs) Um, But I was so excited to talk with Rob and just really pick his brain about some of the things that I've been seeing in the keto carnivore low carb space over the last couple of years that just have me kind of scratching my head and just get his opinion on those things. We talked about everything from protein sparing modified fasting to the super high protein trend we also spoke about do you need carbohydrates for your thyroid and just you know people that are putting out kind of crazy messaging right now that could end up being detrimental to people who actually just really need to hear a simple message so I really valued everything that Rob has to say we did have kind of a lengthy conversation towards the end of the conversation about censorship and I will not be posting this full episode to my YouTube channel. This is one of the things I have dealt with over the last year is censorship of my own platform. It has been difficult, which is why I actually created this podcast in the first place, because I wanted a little bit more of a platform where the censorship would not be as strong. So I do hope that you guys enjoy this episode. If you're not already following Rob, I will put all of his information in the information section in the show notes for you guys so you can follow him. And I'd like to thank Upgraded Formulas for sponsoring today's episode. I have an exclusive code for my podcast listeners. It is Yogi12 and you can save 12% off of anything on their website. Relevant to this conversation that Rob and I have would be the hair tissue mineral analysis with a consultation because one of the things that we really spoke about at length was electrolyte imbalance and just because you're eating carbohydrates does not mean that you don't have an electrolyte or mineral imbalance. It just means that the symptoms are a little bit less obvious to you because you're holding on to more water now that's something i get kind of trolled on all the time on my youtube channel of people just not really understanding how depleted our soil is how it's really nearly impossible to get all of the minerals that your body needs specifically from food so if you are struggling with any issues of mineral or electrolyte imbalance i highly highly recommend going to upgraded formulas website you can use the link in my show notes checking out their hair tissue mineral analysis, definitely getting a consultation with that and just seeing where you stand because you could be experiencing some side effects, some issues that could be easily fixed by just fixing those minerals. So thanks again to Upgraded Formulas for sponsoring today's episode and I hope you guys truly enjoy it. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming back and tuning into this week's episode. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to have... Rob Wolf here on the show with me, Rob, thank you so much for being here.
1: Huge honor to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, you're so kind. Um, I'm a big fan of followed your work for many years and, uh, you know, appreciate all the information you've put out in the past and continue to put out. And I just love your, your non-dogmatic approach to, to health in general.
1: Thank you. It, uh, I, it, it's funny, it won't fill up your Twitter and Instagram profile as quickly as being a zealot, but I feel like it keeps me, like, the other stuff just gets exhausting, like trying to figure out the next better mousetrap and what hyperbole to one up whatever extremism somebody else has done. So, so thank you. I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And I feel like, you know, this year I've kind of been looking at, we, I said, we'll talk about censorship a little bit later, but I've been like wondering why my profile and everything hasn't been growing as much. And I think it's because I kind of took a, a hard stop at the beginning of the year and said, here's some stuff going on in carnivore, keto and problems that we're having. And I've kind of been the one with the voice about, let's talk about some of these problems that people are experiencing. And I think that that kind of stopped my page from oh, growing very, so quickly <laughs>
1: very unpopular pointing out that carnivore and keto although awesome interventions may not be the sole intervention for everybody that's very unpopular
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it hasn't been like the feel-good carnivore page but I think people at the end of the day like I have with your work appreciate when you spot something and say, let's talk about this instead, let's, instead of like, let's brush it under the rug and continue like kind of being, like you said, like a zealot, let's have a conversation about it and see if we, and and I find uh, that if we start to have conversations about things, more people come in, more ideas come in and there are solutions. And I still do eat a primarily carnivore diet, even though I've had run into some things that just required some tweaking. Right.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's funny. I, I arrived at this in part due to experimenting with a vegan diet and getting very, very sick from that. And there was a bunch of other stuff. I was in a graduate program. I was sleeping three hours a night. I lived in Seattle and I hadn't seen the sun in three years. Vitamin D wasn't even on my, my radar. I think the first time I got my vitamin D checked around that time, it was 11 or something like that. I mean, it, it just, so, you know, blaming it solely on a vegan diet is, is disingenuine and dishonest, but it clearly also wasn't serving me particularly well. But when I talked to the luminaries in the vegan scene at that time, they made that failure my fault, not. A potential incompatibility with, with the dietary approach that I, I was tinkering with. And again, like I, you can't find somebody more excited about carnivore and, and keto and paleo than me, but I also recognize that God damn it, it. It just doesn't work exactly the way that we would like it to work for everybody. And that's not that person's fault. That is the limitation of the template that we have, but usually shuffling that template to some degree we can start making it work for the person. Maybe they need some starch, maybe they need some fruit, maybe they need to avoid dairy, you know? And I mean, um, religious wars are fought along each one of those lines instead of just trying to help people find what's going to work for them individually. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm a big believer in just finding what works for you individually. And I've had this year to really kind of work on my gut. And then the vitamin D thing has been huge for me this year, um, I, I had like a level of like a 33 at the beginning of the summer and now it's up to a 60. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. I've dropped weight. I've got a nice tan. Um, <laughs> I've, but I've changed a lot, you know, just my relationship with light. It's not just laying out in the sun. It's getting morning sunlight and yep. reducing EMF. I mean, I was outside working on my laptop for about two hours before I finally came in the office to record. I haven't gotten my uh, nice. recording studio outdoors just yet, Right, <laughs> but that's a goal, but You know, if we sit here and we just are focused so much on the food constantly, we're going to miss the boat on so many other things. It's like if people are glued to their devices all day and watching the news and and not getting any sunlight exposure, not sleeping. Yeah. The diet's not going to really work so well for you. It might save your life. It might keep you from, (laughs) from demise a little bit quicker, but it's still not going to do what you want it to do.
1: Yeah. We're still yeah. not living the way that we really need to live to be optimized for sure. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to jump into, I guess, some of the the trends that are going on a little bit right now that I'm seeing It's in the carnivore community a lot. Um, and then keto is kind of swinging that way as well of just uh, protein sparing, modified fasting and the super high protein going super lean and really limiting your fat. And I'm just curious to know what your take on all of that is, what you're seeing. I know you have a group um, on the mighty with a lot of people. And so you, you're, I always value opinions of people who are like working with people, talking with people on a daily basis. So what are your, (laughs) I know that's a loaded question. No,
1: no, no. It's great. It's interesting when we run these, so part of the healthy rebellion, we have these three, four times a year resets where people work on sleep, food, movement, and community. It's basically the four pillars that I I pulled out of Wired to Eat. And it's, it's, uh, we really lean heavily on that work to kind of guide what we're, we're doing there. And we'll have folks that have followed my work for eight, 10 plus years. And they're like, you know, it really helped me, but I still have these challenges with body composition in particular. Like mm-hmm. I, I maybe we'll focus on that yeah. specifically, but, uh, I've historically not been a huge fan of weighing and measuring of food. I don't know if it's being a biochemist in training and weighing and measuring everything in my life, you know, for years in a lab. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm done with it. And also when we ran our, our CrossFit facility way back in the day, the only time that I saw women in particular develop disordered eating was the weighing and measuring of food. And that was something Mm. that was cool about kind of a basic paleo template plus CrossFit. If we got people excited about performance and then let the body composition do what it's going to do, I never saw disordered eating. So it was some really cool stuff with that. But all that said, When we do these resets and people are struggling with body composition, inevitably, what we find is that these folks are under eating protein. And it's just, I've never seen somebody who had body composition goals that were unmet that was eating adequate protein. And sometimes it was like 25 to 50% under what they were supposed to be eating. And uh, there was a, a period of time when keto land was super fat centric. And you had these groups of people that were more afraid of mTOR and insulin-like growth factor than the vegans were. And there were yes. people in, in keto land that were recommending like 35, 40 grams of protein per day total. And the funny thing about that, there's this crazy guy on the internet, Darian Ryder, who, who oh, recommends yeah. 30, 30 bananas a day. Right. The funny thing is if you eat 30 bananas a day, a day, you get about 35 to 40 grams of protein. So the, 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 these Keto folks were recommending something wow. that was as insane as a thirty banana a day diet, you know. And and I think that for some folks, you know, if they're shifting from a standard American diet and there's tons of processed uh, carbs, that might have been beneficial in the initial weeks, maybe even months. But then over the course of time, they started doing seeing like GI problems and and loss of muscle mass and gaining body fat on a diet that ostensibly is supposed to be impossible to, to gain body fat on. Although I am not, I I was once an adherent of the insulin hypothesis. I no longer really am. I think it's both hormones and calories. Funny enough. I think that they're both really, really important. So I think that there's been a, a really important shift into this kind of protein centric model. And when we think about things like the protein leverage hypothesis that suggests that most organisms eat to a protein minimum and that that's really what their body is assessing because most protein rich foods are also very nutrient dense so it's kind of a a way to aggregate information if you get enough protein in general you you ticked all the boxes of all the other nutrients that you need and then once the person eats adequate protein they stop eating generally and if one does not eat adequate protein, then they continue eating, whether that's fat or carbs. And just over the course of time, we've just seen that work really, really well. And this is a stretch and I don't know that it's the best analogy, but in my mind, it makes a lot of sense. But I see the management of type one diabetes as being one of the most challenging kind of metabolic problems to deal with. Like it's really really hard to not kill these people either with high blood sugar or low blood sugar standard of care management is kind of eat whatever carbs you want. And then we'll cover it with insulin. And now most type one diabetics end up being type two diabetic also due to the type of care that they have and the best management of type one diabetes that we've, we've seen, there was a Harvard backed study that looked at the Bernstein uh, diabetes solution intervention, which is basically a high protein moderate fat, low carb intervention. So the goal isn't specifically ketosis. The goal is super stable, normalized blood sugars. Mm. And it looks very similar to what my friends at keto gains do with their program. It looks real similar to kind of a, a modified carnivore diet. So I don't know if it's confirmation bias or we're actually just seeing stuff that works and you, you kind of see people moving in that direction. And I, I would, be more concerned about folks doing these psmfs and and stuff like that and maybe overdoing the protein but we have a few more than a few actually good number of them protein overfeeding studies where they tried to overfeed folks protein and people just can't do it long term like they just refuse to eat they stop eating the protein they kind of they bring their caloric load back down to normal levels so I would be inclined to say that the protein could be driven overboard, similar to eat all the fat or, mm-hmm. or, you know, eat all the carbs or whatnot. And I'll, I'll reserve my right to amend my, my you know opinion later, but it looks <laughs> like it's just less it looks less dangerous to overdo protein relative to underdoing it for sure. And that was like the longest answer to the simplest question ever asked, but that that's what I've got.
0: No, there's so much in there that I I just love. And, you know, I feel like some of the, one of the things that I see a lot, and I know you've seen a lot in trends over the years is that there's kind of this like bell curve of, of things. And I see, people like me, I'm an extreme person. If you tell me fasting is good, then I want to do like a seven day water fast, you know, if protein is good, then I want to eat like 400 grams a day. And a lot, I think a lot of people that are attracted to carnivore that are attracted to these different types of, of ways of eating are on kind of similar to me where they tend to just really overdo things. And so you know, for me, and I, it was before protein sparing modified fast was even like a a big thing in, I mean, Lyle McDonald did that years ago. Um, but now it's, uh, people have brought it back out. There's books and, you know, a whole, there's a lot just over the last year, but I did this like back in 2019. Right. And, uh, I was like, I'm just not really losing the weight that I want to lose. And, um, what took my protein way up, and I think it was too high. And I see this happen quite a bit that it made me more hungry. Yep. Um, it made my blood sugar run higher. And then when I got lab work done, my um, bun creatinine ratio was showed that I was just severely dehydrated. And so it was in my EGFR, which is estimated, right? It was down to like a sixty-nine or something like that, and I was like, "Crap, that's probably not good." Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, if there can't the the dark side a little bit of all this protein loading, that was the dark side for me. I wonder yeah. how common that is. Do you ever see that, or do you do you think that that's becoming an issue?
1: It, it it could in some folks, and it is worth mentioning. As much as I'm I'm singing the virtues of like the the. uh, the satiety you know benefits of of protein and the protein leverage hypothesis and all that type of stuff there is kind of an s curve where amount of protein relative to to uh satiety uh, you hit a point where satiety is maximal you know kind of and it's somewhere around like a gram of protein per pound of lean body mass up mm. to a gram of protein of, of body weight and then when you go beyond that then it it's Profoundly stimulates appetite, and I think part of the mechanism there is that there is kind of a reality: humans plateau out at somewhere between thirty and forty percent of protein as a, a macronutrient. That's the most that they can really process. We need some carbs or some fat as a cofactor. If you get right. much beyond that, uh, just because of the the nitrogen, um, you know, detox uh, uh, needs of the liver. And so if we're really hammering protein and we go beyond that that level as a percentage of calories, and the person is already lean. So this is where somebody can be if they're significantly overweight, they could be on some sort of a, a PSMF for a long time because they can pull body fat to act as that right that cofactor Fuel source metabolism. Yeah. 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 So it, it definitely could be over overdone. It, it definitely can be overdone. And, and this is a, a very typical result is that people will find that they will overeat and then they end up with some, like some electrolyte imbalances and stuff like that, because they've gone way above and beyond what a, a normal physiological intake should be for a protracted period of time. Yep. Yeah.
0: So you think like, cause I was definitely exceeding a, pa- you know, a gram per pound of body weight, not even lean body mass, but a, a gram right. per pound of body weight. I was far exceeding that. And cause I just thought, yeah, protein's good. <laughs> lean is good. That's what I'm going for. And I think I was running, you know, just all the time in gluconeogenesis, just constantly. I didn't have carbs. I didn't have, I really didn't have enough fat to really, mm-hmm fuel myself adequately. And yeah, I ended up feeling bad and starting to have sleep problems and hormonal problems. And so I always like with all the stuff going on with like the super high protein, I think there's definitely positive things about it. But then I remember kind of my experience with it. And I'm like, I'm, I know there's so many people out there that are kind of extreme the way that I am. And so (laughs) I try to, I'm like, Oh, I just kind of want to see how this is going to go for people. I want people to be successful and, and find what works best for them. But I'm like, yeah, I'm hoping that it, you know, people can understand that there isn't all, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. If you just keep doing one thing and keep doing it more and more.
1: Right. And, And it's a tough one when you're thinking about this from like a coaching perspective, or even like pulling back, like more of a, Public health recommendation, I would still say that by and large, people at a population level are under eating protein. Oh, big time. Big time. Driver of like obesity writ large. But then how do you keep it? It's almost uh, using a microscope and like dialing in versus pulling back, like really, really detailed versus big picture. A big picture story is that people are probably under eating protein in general and dense, you know, nutrient dense protein sources in particular, but then at an individual level, we have folks like yourself and myself that will take things to, you know, the nth degree. And then that ends up being a problem too. I I will say that I, I, because of, I I have real nervousness around like, uh, capacity issues within our healthcare system and stuff like that, That I tend to say, well, I guess you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. And so some of the extreme people that take this stuff too far, that's super unfortunate, but those aren't the folks. You and I are not going to be the people that no. cripple Western healthcare systems due to <laughs> no. diabetes, you know? So, so it sucks, but I think that this is that other piece of this where we do need to be aware of it. People like you need to have this message out there so that the folks bouncing around, they're like, well, I'm eating all this protein and I'm having these problems. There needs to be a voice so that they can hear that. But it's almost like we have to kind of whisper that on the side yeah. so that we keep the the masses like they're not. Reading the Eat set stuff that you should get like 14 grams oh. of protein per day, and it, it you know, e- even the the rebuttals about the Eat set material at the World Health Organization level suggested that we will see wanton nutrient deficiencies because of the the decrease in, in the already paltry amounts of animal protein, and we will see enhanced obesity because people will eat more because of that protein leverage hypothesis. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, but it's, it's tough. You have to keep both of these truths in your head at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive and it depends where, where one is in that story that you have to apply this part of the story versus that part of the story.
0: Yeah. I'm realizing that the more and more that I kind of hang that this community is small, but it seems really big when you're in the middle of it, you know, it seems like there's so many people when you're kind of in the middle of it, because all day people are messaging me about carnivore or doing low carb keto. And, you know, so you just kind of think, well, everyone is is like that. But I mean, all I have to do is go and spend time with my extended family. And they, I mean, I might as well just be wearing a tinfoil hat when it comes to talking about, I was going to say food, but it's like talking about everything at this point in my life. I just, I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to, yeah. 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 So I, I completely understand that. And I've talked with Dr. Ken Berry before and you know what he, what his message is, because there was this whole thing about poofas last year. It's, it's so funny how these controversies, like right now it's like, everyone's all peace, you know, protein sparing and high protein last year, everyone was flipping out about poofas. Don't eat um, pork. Don't eat pork. Oh my God. Don't eat pork and don't eat salmon and don't eat, you know. And so I had Dr. Barry on and we were talking a little bit before we did that interview last summer. And he's like, you know, my message, the people I'm talking to are the people of Walmart, you know, the people of the country who, like you were saying, are going to cripple the medical system. And, you know, we, when we're kind of doing this, like, and there's more stuff, you know, like this infighting type of thing. Um, it's not helping to get that message out to more people um, and I do I do feel like sometimes it's like we we think that everyone is like us we think everyone's in a healthy weight and has time to work out and looks at the sun and does all these things but the rest of the world has no clue at all and so there's it's kind of this balancing game, like you were saying, kind of whispering it out to the people that need to hear it, but it doesn't need to be kind of shouted out on the rooftops to the rest of the world. Cause you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're not even, you know, open to hearing that meat is the most healthy thing you could be eating. You know, the most right. nutrient dense thing you could be eating.
1: Yeah. I, I did some interesting work for the Chickasaw nation a couple of years ago. and big kind of a global, um, health initiative that they wanted to roll out to all of their, their tribe, all of their people, but they were really focusing heavily on their casino workers because Mm. these folks get really, really sick. There's a lot of night shift, um, terrible, terrible food options. Uh, the circadian rhythm disruptions are really gnarly. So I wrote a guide around that. that was just super simple. Like it it is more that kind of, you know, like I I don't shop at Whole Foods. I shop at Walmart. And so what, and and I have three kids and I'm a single mom and like, how do I navigate all this stuff? You know, and it it was super simple. It was like focus on more protein when you're drinking a beverage, make it coffee, tea, water, ideally unsweetened. If you do sweeten it use an artificial sweetener, not, yeah. not fructose. And, it, which, you know, and this is it, yeah. there's all these trigger things, but they, they rolled this out to their staff and they're like, this was really simple. And like, they, they checked metabolic markers on these folks at, at uh, three and six month intervals and people got healthier. Like they got markedly healthier, you know, drinking artificial sweetened colas instead of sugared colas and getting, you, you know, leaving one part of the bun off instead of eating the whole bun, instead of doing fries, doing a side salad, you know, there were just some, some little things like that, that they, they did that had really, really profound benefit. But folks in our community would freak out. They're like, well, they're drinking aspartame and Mm -hmm. that's going to kill you. And, uh, you know, the meat wasn't grass fed and, oh my God, gluten. And, 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 you know, just, layer after layer. Whereas for those folks, maybe someday those folks will, will have enough of a health change if they're like, I feel better, but I think I could get more. And then maybe they get more nuanced, but that, that triage, like that first level, I see what most people are doing in the health space as focusing on dripping faucets, but the house is burning down and they're literally like, can't focus on the dripping faucet enough while the house around them is burning down. Whereas I I think what you and I are talking about is maybe we should prevent the house from burning down. And and then attend to the dripping faucet when and where we can do that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I talked with uh, Amy Berger, um, you know, and her, she's working with Dr. Westman now, and and they are okay with people having seed oils. You know, (laughs) we're in the keto world and carnivore world, banging the drum of how horrible these seed oils are. And I'll have Kate Shanahan on a future podcast episode. I've got her scheduled to talk about all this stuff because it's interesting to our community. But it's like, you know, we would rather them just get off of the sugar, get off of the processed foods. And if they need to have some salad dressing with a little bit of seed oil in it to get them over to the other side, you know, they're okay with it. I read End Your Carb Confusion, their book, Uh, before I interviewed Amy. And I was like, interesting. And at first, of course, you know, I'm in my little bubble over here. I'm like, oh, but they're saying seed oils are okay. But now sitting back a little bit and having more of a global view, it's like, yeah, that's better than, you know, ice cream or a cola or it's way better. Yeah.
1: And, you know, as an aside, if there were one person that I know that I would elect as global leader to be in charge of everything, it'd be Amy Berger. (laughs) She's the only person I know who is sane enough and balanced enough and and conscientious enough that she wouldn't fuck that job up. So So Amy Berger for global leader.
0: She yeah. would definitely have my vote. She, yeah. she would. I really enjoyed talking with her. Just very, just level-headed. You know, her whole thing is keto without the crazy. And I think yeah. that that is, it's needed. And, you know, she isn't viral. She doesn't have 100,000 YouTube subscribers. She doesn't have the huge following. And um, it says, you know, it says a lot about her that she's not trying to do that. It's she just wants to truly help people. And I feel like we need a little bit more of that, even though it's not glamorous, it's not popular um, to have discussions that are going to help more people, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, we, we kind of open with this a little bit, but the the seed oil thing in, in my mind or the PUFA, you know, like don't eat pork because of PUFAs and everything I see that as this revolving door of folks looking around and trying to figure out how do I distinguish myself from everybody else? So how do I, how do I get that virality around my, my, my cause and doing super extreme positions on topics. And this is what's so just screwed up about our, our moment in history right now, the Facebook algorithms, human nature, just, Gravitates towards that extremism, mm-hmm. the, this uh, certitude. Also, people love certitude, and yes. um, and man, there's not a better way of screwing up a lot of people than throwing yeah. out these certitude and and you know these these taking these super nuanced spots and making them the the most important thing. You know, again, you have these most of of, you, let's just talk about the United States. You know, you have so many of these people that are like split families, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They want to do better for themselves and their family, but they've, you've only got so much bandwidth. Like I, I forget what the number is, but, um, most people have made so many decisions by noon in their life, like major decisions that they're done they're just done. They don't want to make any more decisions. They don't want to have to think about anything else. And suggesting that, you know, getting a burger minus the bun with some cheese on it and, and having a side salad with a little bit of canola oil in it is, is like the worst thing that you could possibly do. And you're not eating the bun you're not eating the fries. You're not drinking a sugary beverage, right? Your total caloric load is like four or 500 calories versus 1500 calories in a single meal. And that's not a fucking win. It's like, give me a break, you know? And, but this is, this is the messaging that is really winning right now. And I don't know how, or if that will change. I kind of see it as, as like waves breaking on the beach. Like people run into that and then they kind of retreat back and are like, okay, this is kind of insane. The unfortunate thing is I, I think that people retreat out of it entirely. They're like, that didn't work. That was over the top because they forget that there's this whole middle ground there, you know, yeah. within the the success of keto and carnivore, there's this whole world of like low carb. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah exactly. It's-
1: instead of eating 500 grams of carbs a day, maybe eat hundred or even 150. And that right. works great for you. And it's like, awesome, but you don't fit into any camp. You're yeah. not any type of an extremist, even eating that way daily among office workers, you wouldn't even really stand out other than like, Oh, Charlie eats pretty well. You know, he's the weirdo yeah. that eats pretty well, but he's not keto. He's not carnivore. He's right. not any of the, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's been a tough thing for me this year because I did super strict carnivore for two years. And then this year I started kind of diving into microbiome and just curious, like how much is my gut actually healed? Can I handle different things? And, you know, started playing around with adding in like Brussels sprouts or asparagus or little things here and there. And I talked about it and I got all these people. Well, I guess you're not carnivore yogi anymore. I guess you're going to have to change your name. And I'm like, do I? Because really, what I stand for, if you know me, if you follow me, is just challenging the norm. My whole thing is like, let's challenge the idea that you have to be a vegan to be a yoga teacher. Let's challenge, let's just like that's what the name stands for. It's not so much about fitting into a diet camp. And if you want to do carnivore for 10, 12, 20 years, the rest of your life, cool. But most people don't, you know, most people aren't going to want to stay on a carnivore diet for the rest of their lives. I like to have a salad if I'm going out to a nice steak restaurant, that's a treat to me. And that may sound like you know, blasphemy (laughs) to some of the carnivore people, but I do enjoy a nice restaurant salad. It's probably got seed oils in it. Now that I think about it, it's delicious at a nice steakhouse. Um, But it's not the norm for me. But if I want to do that, I'll do that. And I will be honest with people that follow me that my gut has healed. I've done a lot to work on it and now I can tolerate some things, but that doesn't make it like my lifestyle unhealthy. It doesn't make me less of a carnivore less, you know, it's, it's just crazy how we've kind of turned into vegans a little bit.
1: It's embarrassing. And at the early iterations of carnivore, I would frequently admonish people. I'm like, Hey, let's just not, take this to a spot where we look crazier than the raw vegans. And, yeah. and we've done that. In it's, many there. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Yeah. We yeah. have arrived. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I actually wanted to ask you kind of, I hope you guys are enjoying today's episode with Rob Wolf as much as I did recording it. He is just such a delightful person and so insightful and so wise. So, I am so excited for this episode and hope that you are enjoying it, which is a quick little reminder that if you are enjoying this episode, please head on over to Apple. You can leave me up to a five-star review. It helps get this podcast out to more people. As I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, I have absolutely been experiencing some censorship on my own platform. That's why I created this podcast to begin with. So if you wanna support it, the best thing you can do is head on over to Apple, leave me that review again, up to five stars. And thanks again to Upgraded Formulas for sponsoring today's episode. As I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, their hair tissue mineral analysis with a consultation is something that I personally do every 90 days even if I'm not having a ton of symptoms, just because I want to make sure that my minerals are absolutely optimized. These things help to run your metabolism, all of your energy in the body. We are electric beings. And so keeping electrolytes in balance is absolutely crucial, absolutely vital. And I am obsessed with their magnesium. The upgraded magnesium is the best absorbed magnesium I have ever taken in my life. And I like to keep checking to make sure I'm not taking too much of it because I don't want to give it up. So every time I've done a hair tissue mineral analysis, I'm not overdoing the magnesium. I still need it. And so I'm grateful for that test because I just love their magnesium. So if you're looking for a good magnesium supplement, do check out the Upgraded Formulas Magnesium. You can use my code YOGI12 for anything on the Upgraded Formulas website. And let's get back to the show on that topic of the whole metabolic flexibility thing. Cause that's a huge topic right now as well. And, um, I've definitely played around a little bit to see how well my blood sugar does to add a a little thing here and there and and check in with that. And at first it was bad. Like my blood, I couldn't handle adding in anything Mm -hmm. now that I've practiced it for a while. I'm good at it. I'm fine. And I feel actually feel better for it. But, um, You know, what's your take on the whole metabolic flexibility thing?
1: Oh man, it's, it's a funny story. Um, It was maybe six years ago, might even been seven years ago. Think about this. Maybe six years ago. Uh, the, I really, I had the concept of metabolic flexibility had been on my radar, but I, I did a talk three or four years ago called metabolic flexibility, the Rosetta stone of the macronutrient wars, you know, and it. it, it (laughs) I think one of my, my better talks and it kind of got in and looked at like, well, there's these laudable characteristics to a whole food based, you know, higher carb diet. You know, we see this at a population level. There's clearly, you know, benefits in different circumstances with lower carb going into ketosis and even fasting and, and all this. And, uh, as I really started digging into, Things is like, oh, metabolic flexibility—that's what you really want. And a lot of it uh, uh, came about looking at my wife. Like when we did the blood sugar testing for Wired to Eat, because I have this seven-day carb test as as part of the book. Oh yeah. Nikki would eat fifty grams of carbs from rice, and I would eat it. And she's forty pounds lighter than I am. Her blood sugar would top off at like one ten. Mine would go to one ninety. Wow. You know, and just the fact that I'm bigger than her. I I should have had lower blood sugar. Like if I had eaten an amount of carbs commensurate to my body weight, like I would have been unconscious, you know? And it's funny, Nikki will eat keto and she'll go in and out of ketosis and she doesn't even notice it. She has no mental fatigue. She has no decline in physical performance. She is super metabolically flexible. And I think in general, that's kind of like the ideal for most people yeah. to be at. You could eat carbs. You could not eat carbs, you know, and, it, and it's not a big deal. I don't know if at a population level, there's just some people that are less metabolically flexible. Yeah. I don't know if like some epigenetic things have happened. Like I was on tetracycline for acne between the ages of, of like 13 and 21. And, and I had so many sinus infections as a kid and like mm-hmm. on and on and on. I don't know if my gut is just so hammered that, you know, I'm, I'm never going to have the, the type of metabolic flexibility that I would like, but it, it, it metabolic flexibility for me is this really interesting thing. I was going to orient my whole future career around this. It was like, I, I was spinning up this, uh, Metflex certification. We were going to certify metabolic flexibility specialists. But as I started digging into this more and more, I was like, I don't know how to achieve this. Like Mm. we get people lean that generally improves metabolic flexibility. If we can improve gut health, that generally improves metabolic flexibility, but it doesn't always. And and just being leaner doesn't always improve metabolic flexibility. Sometimes fasting can help, but it doesn't always, you know, and, and so It became this thing where it's like, yeah, you really want metabolic flexibility, but I can't think of a really ironclad consistent way of producing it, you know, in some situations, yes. And we can kind of squeeze the margin out a little bit, but it became this thing where what I realized it was that I was going to have to tell a boatload of lies in order to sell the dream of metabolic flexibility. Like mm. I was just going to have to ditch all nuance, all, all variability. And, and, uh, you know, even, and, and this is an interesting thing too. I tend to feel better and do better in a ketogenic state Same. Or, or, you know, kind of a peri Absolutely. ketogenic state. Yeah. I am not particularly metabolically flexible. Like, I, I guess you could, like, if I'm doing some really hard jujitsu and I do some targeted carbs in and around the jujitsu, or I do some sort of like a. CrossFit esque circuit, I can target some carbs in there. I definitely get a performance bump, but I've got to really target that that stuff appropriately. But I don't think I would define myself as being metabolically flexible the way that my wife is, and so um, I'm not arguably that metabolically flexible. I've tried like crazy to achieve it. I've donated blood to reduce iron. I've done mm. like every. Prebiotic, probiotic, you can find in the results ranged from uh overtly negative, like making me feel worse, yeah, worse. to yeah. to, you know, it did nothing. Um, and so I I finally just kind of abandoned it. And so it's this thing that I think metabolic flexibility, it's it, it's kind of like being tall and good looking. It's like everybody wants that, but I don't know that everybody gets that, you know, and yeah. and uh it, and you know, if you're short and not that attractive, then I guess you could have your shins extended and, you know, you could get some plastic surgery and we'll, we'll, we'll tinker with it, you know, from, from there. And I kind of see that as like the nutritional and lifestyle interventions. There's things that you can do that may enhance metabolic flexibility. And I think that there's also just to some degree, some boundaries that I will never be as metabolically flexible as my wife. I don't know if I was ever as metabolically flexible as my wife because looking back, I, I, I found some medical records that my mom had gestational diabetes. So wow. maybe, and she had celiac, and she had some autoimmune stuff and and uh, gut issues. So my epigenetics may have been programmed in utero to not be all that met- metabolically flexible. So wow, I don't know if I really answered the you know the what about metabolic flexibility question. Like I think it's A really cool concept i I think it's uh, a laudable thing to have but i also think it's kind of it i wouldn't say luck but it's not something that we can just engineer a good outcome whereas absent that we can usually i have seen other people too um they just do better on carbs and and they eat more frequently and we've tinkered with a little bit of fasting and we try to do some induction keto type stuff. And they just don't do well with it. We get their electrolytes on point. We do everything that we need to do that that should make them a fat burning machine. And it just doesn't really work that well for them. And so I would argue those folks are also probably not spectacularly metabolically flexible, but they seem to be metabolically healthy. They are not showing signs and symptoms of, of metabolic disease and, and, uh, and all that type of stuff. So it's another one of these things. And, you know, because it's so oblique, man, there's so many gold mines that can be sold at the the end of the, the metabolic flexibility rainbow. Like there's all kinds of promise and all kinds oh, of yeah. cool shit. And if it doesn't work, it's probably your problem, not a failure yep. of the, of the concept. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's one of these things. I feel like that there's a lot of pressure kind of coming out for people to, Hey, you're not metabolically flexible because you haven't cheated on keto or haven't gone off of, you know, whatever you haven't gone off low carb in years. And so this is a failing of yours and you need to start working on this. And I think that that could be beneficial for some people perhaps, but Then there's other people that, you know, perhaps eating sugar, eating carbohydrates that could cause them to revisit old eating disorders and, Mm -hmm. and binging, you know, binge eating behavior. And so the whole topic of metabolic flexibility, it's definitely fascinating to me to understand kind of how it works and, you know, but I think that the pressure coming out, like it's the people that are against low carb and keto and carnivore that are really, really, really banging the drum loudly and saying, well, you guys would fail a glucose tolerance test. Um, and that's not good and kind of just shaming people for wanting to just kind of stick with what they're doing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, uh, uh, in the flip side of that is uh, there are a lot of people, uh, that are higher carb that would fail a, a lipid clearing tolerance test where you feed them a high fat diet and they don't clear lipids efficiently, you know, and, this is again, where I think that you have some people like my wife that are really like tri fuel engines, like you throw anything into them and they, it, it just comes out as energy and, and not a lot of, uh, you know, side issues with that. Um, not all hunter gatherers or pre-industrial people had great glucose tolerance tests. The people that ate a higher carb diet habitually typically had fantastic oral glucose tolerance tests. People like the, uh, uh, the, the son had pretty terrible glucose tolerance tests by comparison because they tended to eat a low carb diet. And even the, 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 the main papers that were done on these folks their uh, the, for the son, their real, um, low carb period of the year is during the summer because the watering holes have, have dried up like the vegetable matter is skinny. And so right. it, the, the, main food source left is, is animal products. So they tend to be much more in kind of a quasi keto or, you know, more carnivore centric period. And that is when the, these tests were performed on these folks. So, um, they were in a period of time where they were eating comparatively little carbohydrate. And so of course they're going to fail a oral glucose tolerance test. Um, there, uh, there's a great, uh, Lily Nichols, uh, mm-hmm. is a, a really wonderful person. Um, uh, pregnancy with whole foods, gestational diabetes with whole foods. And there are women who just feel good eating kind of a lower carb diet. Mm -hmm. Um, they have good blood glucose response on that, but they would do really poorly on a a oral glucose tolerance test. And so we find things like, well, let's look at a one C and or fructosamine, and let's use that as the surrogate of whether or not we're, we're facing, uh, uh, you know, gestational diabetes versus this kind of arbitrarily spun up test that they're, you know, it, it's designed for them to fail. Yeah. And then they're going to start eating in a way that they feel less well than what they did previously. Like it's yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where the evidence-based um, nutrition crowd is, is really kind of annoying. And I, I think injurious <laughs> yeah. to folks because they but but then they're pushing back against the folks that say that having a piece of bacon is going to kill you because of the poofas in it. It's just
0: like, right, exactly. It's so many crazy camps. And I guess, speaking of crazy camps, there's a really loud group of people now that, you know, a lot of them used to do carnivore and now they're, um, eating a lot of fruit, which is fine. You know, I'm the first person that's like, if you, can tolerate fruit if it works for you, cool, go for it. If you're, you know, super active, go for it. But they're basically saying if you don't eat fruit, if you don't eat sugar, their whole thing is the glucose, the sugar, um, and just do carnivore, that you're going to wreck your thyroid. Um, it's going to just, basically like deteriorate your health, but their big thing is like, you're going to just completely decimate your thyroid. If you don't eat sugar as part of a regular part of your carnivore diet. And, uh, yeah, it's been (laughs) there. I've stayed out of it. I've just been kind of watching, you know, but, um, it's, there've been a lot of, uh, a lot of fighting going on in the community lately about that. I'm curious your thoughts on the whole thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It, you know, during the summer, I definitely eat and seem to tolerate more fruit. I have to be kind of careful what I do. Um, melons and citrus tend to be the things I do best on some berries. I do. Okay. Uh, I I think because of kind of FODMAP fructose type Mm -hmm. issues, uh, apples and pears crush me. Like I can eat like apple sauce because it's cooked If the pears get baked or something, then I I can eat a little bit of them. But um so even that, like I have a little bit of you know, uh specifics with it. And uh again, like some parts of the year, I, I will do more. Um if I have a really hard training day, I'll do more fruit that day. But the interesting thing is I can't really do it serially. I can't do it day after day. So I'll have kind of a higher carb day. And then I'll kind of taper it back down. And then I have a hard training day and I'll I'll taper things back down. And on that thyroid front, I really think a lot of what folks see there, whether it's, it's keto or carnivore is that folks aren't getting enough sodium in their diet. And, Mm -hmm. And when we have this very low insulin load environment, I don't, I don't know that the fruit, the sugar specifically is fixing the problem. I think the fruit sugar and insulin is causing the body to retain enough sodium so that we're not seeing that antagonistic action of cortisol against the thyroid, preventing the conversion of of, uh, T3, uh, T4 into T3 and and getting reverse T3 building up and whatnot. Um, Everything that I see there, people will say, well, that's a carb problem, but you could equally make the case it's an inadequate sodium problem. And one of the primary effects of eating more carbs is that we retain more sodium. So I would make the case that if at a minimum if folks are eating a very low carb diet of whatever flavor, they got to be getting at least five grams of sodium per day from, from dietary and, and other sources. And then I, I don't see those same types of problems popping up. And I would lean heavily just on what I see out of the keto gains community, because they have tens of thousands of people going through their program, just enormous throughput. Their main demographic is, is comprised of females, 35 to 60. So like, if you were going to see hormonal dysregulation, thyroid oh, issues, that is the demo, like that yeah, is the demo,
0: hundred percent,
1: but they, you just don't see that because they pay as much neurotic attention to the uh, sodium and electrolyte intake as they do, protein, carbs, fat. And Mm -hmm. that, that was part of the reason why I really glommed onto those guys because I saw them doing some work that was really, really, really different. So I would make the case that, uh, while people are doing these pissing matches back and forth about carbs, no carbs, all that type of stuff that they would be better served, really making sure that they get their electrolytes on point.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I have people that message me constantly about poor sleep and hair falling out and things like that. And I'm like, well, a few things. Are you eating enough? Are you overexercising? Are you over fasting? Or are you just maybe to put fasting on the back burner? But how are you, what are you doing for electrolytes? You know, right. and most of the time I would say nine times out of 10, those people say, I'm just salting my food to taste. Yeah.
1: And and it's I'm not like, remotely
0: enough. Oh yeah. yeah you got to do a lot more than that. And yeah. that was definitely a problem for me. I think even with just doing super high protein, it accelerated the dehydration, but I was extremely dehydrated. Um, just after just salting my food to taste for a year straight. And that was the only thing I did for electrolytes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I agree with you completely.
1: Well, I had twenty years of dealing with inadequate salt, so you Oof. you got off easy. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Well, I yeah. feel like there's so much information out there now. I mean, I, this was 2019, and then if mm-hmm. you're doing it all those years ago, there's there's like nothing out there at all um, as well, far as it, information goes.
1: Yeah, and it, it's funny if one is placed on a medically supervised ketogenic diet, the dietitian is it, it really they put together a meal plan that will guarantee you get at least five grams of sodium per day. Uh, And they also make sure that you, you know, if somebody's put on an epilepsy diet or like adjunctive cancer therapy or something, they want a a certain ketogenic level, then the protein, carbs, fat are really important. But because they understand the nature of fasting, that when insulin levels drop, that we tend to dump sodium. And then we get this kind of downward spiral where then we start dumping potassium and, and everything goes crazy. Um, they fixed that by making sure by hook or by crook that you get adequate sodium, but in the pop culture of diet books, and I've written two of them that were New York times bestsellers. And I mentioned sodium, not once in either of those, you know, and if I could have been aware of this in the early two thousands, like one, my health would have been far better. My experience of life would have been far better. And I would have been in a position to help a hell of a lot more people versus waiting till 2016 ish in, in having sodium really get on my radar. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's in the presence of low insulin that we really need to be cognizant of the sodium intake, right?
1: Yeah. More so, but you know, it's, it's interesting, even, uh, you know, just, uh, high motor athletes like the American council of sports medicine, they make the case that people who are training hard in hot or humid environments at altitude should be consuming, uh, seven to 10 grams of wow. sodium per day. And that's within the framework that they're assuming these people are eating 600 grams of carbs per day. Wow. So it really, it, you know, it juxtaposes there possibly how far off we are on these, these, uh, kind of electrolyte recommendations and people will go down the rabbit hole and say, well, how did people get that much, you know, out of like an ancestral diet? And there, there's, I have different thoughts on that. And, and a lot of it boils down to, I think people drink fewer fluids in an yeah. ancestral environment. Like they don't have one of yeah. one of these <laughs> that, you know, that they're, they're right, just chugging because, on. Right. Yeah. I think that that's a piece of it. And then on the exercise side, even though what we understand from hunter gatherer activity levels, they were active, but they didn't look remotely like a hard training athlete. Like mm. they, 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 they And a lot of people that's their outlet. That's their joy. That's great. But if you're going to push things above kind of super physiological levels above what ancestral norms are kind of expecting, then we're going to have to buffer that with, with more electrolytes or different types of fueling and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It's, uh, my husband actually was sick. We got the, you know what, but I haven't been talking about it on my platform because, you know, it's just not one of the things that you talk about, but you know, besides liposomal vitamin C and vitamin D and a bunch of other things, we, you had just sent me a bunch of these, got these right here now in the office because we love them so much. Um, got a bunch of teas and I got my husband drinking those. And now he's, he's a car beater, but he jogs a lot. He's real tall. He's real in shape. He's probably in ketosis half the time. And he's just, mm-hmm. he can eat, you know, food and it just kind of melts off of him. I'm the, I'm the opposite. I'm the complete opposite, but he's, he's like, order some more of those. And so we've got boxes now of the LM&T, Um, and he loves them. And like, he's a complete car beater. Uh, most of my meals are pretty low carb, but he's, drinking his smoothies for breakfast, even though I'm completely against that. Um, (laughs) yeah. yeah, So I think that there's benefit in that for, for everyone and we're in Georgia too. So it's pretty, so it's it's hot, hot and and humid here. Yeah. Yeah, It's like a swamp. Yeah. Yes it is. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, I wanted to touch just on one more point, uh, and it might be a little bit of a rabbit hole, but just the information that we have access to now. And I know you have personal experience with this in in your business, but it just seems like the messaging out there keeps getting louder and louder and the truth keeps getting harder and harder to find. Um, And I wanted to talk a little bit about censorship and just your, I know that's like opening up a Pandora's box, but just your thoughts on that, you know, maybe as it relates to a lot of the stuff we've talked about today.
1: Well, you know, the I think the most ironic feature of that could be encapsulated in us talking about censorship could get us deplatformed.
0: Right. Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) You know, I mean, it's so, you know, I, uh, I don't know if I could say anything else, you know, more, more possibly insightful than that, although, although, um, man, where do you even dig into that? So I don't want to couch this as a woe is me, but it, 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 there's a little woe is me uh, piece to this, but about three years ago, uh, so my Robwolf.com website has been around since 2009, I want to say, 2009, 2010, maybe a little before that. Uh, not the biggest website on the world in the world, but you, know, it had amazing link backs and like we had a really phenomenal Google. Uh, standing, uh, we had this product called the keto masterclass, which is, you know, it, it, I really tried to teach people everything I knew about ketosis. And fortunately at that point I did had learned about electrolytes from Tyler and Luis over at keto gain. So it, this really phenomenal, uh, uh, keto immersion program. And we were selling that through like Google ads and on Facebook, and it, it was doing quite well. And the feedback we had was amazing. We just had amazing success stories. And then one day we we woke up and I had a text message from Mark Sisson and Chris Kresser and they're like, hey, have you checked your site traffic? And I, I rarely check my site traffic. I'm not one of these metric-driven yeah. people where like I'm checking how many people have followed me or how many people like this or you know whatever. And and uh, my site traffic, uh, my organic site traffic had dropped ninety seven percent over. Wow. And over the course of time, selling this Keto Masterclass on Facebook had gotten harder and harder. Like the the trick with stuff like that. You got to spend, you know, if you spend a dollar in advertising, you got it's something more than a dollar back to make it worthwhile. Yeah. And over the course of time, it had just gotten harder and harder and harder to sell this thing. And although there is a life cycle on all products online, like we had not been out that long with it. Keto was really at this really high inflection point. It was just really weird it was maybe like three, five days later that, uh, some folks did a, a, uh, some blog posts and some news pieces about this Google owl update. And it basically, there were about 30 or 40, uh, people in the kind of low carb ancestral health space that they had basically been deplatformed effectively. Wow. What Google had done is gone in and, and stripped out the organic link backs to different topics. So like, there's a a movie called what the health it's a vegan documentary film. And if you put in what the health originally you would see typically, you know, the website link, maybe a one or two other links, but then I had a review of the movie where I literally went minute by minute, second by second. Here's what they said. Here's what the claim is. I I put 90 hours of work. I remember reading
0: that when I saw that documentary. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so this was one of the highest link back, you know, things that that I had on my website, but I had hundreds of things like this, you know, uh, uh, ketogenic diet for kidney disease. You know I mean? Just all kinds of different stuff. It was all gone. Now my website was still there, but if you put in what the health, we went back 80 pages and you couldn't find my link to this thing. If you put in Rob Wolf, what the health, then you could find it. But basically that, that preferential link back to, you know, the work that I had done was gone. Wow. And now the people that were de- i I'm going to call it D platform, because I mean, if people can't find your shit, it's kind of the yeah. same. as just making exactly. it go away. So, so for ease of, of description, you know, we'll just say D platform. There were some people like Sayer G and, and, uh, Dr. Mercola who were controversial, like yep. they have some really hard stances on things like uh, uh, vaccines and mm-hmm. and different stuff. So there's some Venn diagram overlap. They're fans of low carb diets, but unlike me, like I'm actually the the crazy guy that is not really concerned about EMF exposure in general. Like I, yeah. I did a piece on on five G and potential health effects, and people hated me for it, but. I've, I've had a $1,000 offer for somebody to go through the physics that I laid out and explain how I, I got it wrong. And nobody's been able to do that. They just say I'm an asshole and that I'm a, a shill for, for like big cell phone. I still pay my my own cell phone bill. Like Verizon didn't kick me down anything free on that, but so. There were people that were deplatformed that many people would say, well, they needed to be deplatformed. It's unfortunate you did yeah. well, but those guys are jerks and they're causing all this problem. This was in 2017 or 18. Wow. And so there's been this kind of rollout of this stuff where people who are, are I really think that the ancestral health model, I think that this kind of lower carb approach, Addresses so many different things so well that it's legitimately dangerous to the the interests of kind of like big tech and big pharma. the narrative. The narrative, and um, I forget how many years ago it was, and I forget which direction the exchange of funds happened. But between Google and GlaxoSmithKline, there was a six hundred million dollar exchange, and then Google had an exchange with another pharmaceutical outfit. And Forbes did a piece that basically suggested that we should look at Google as a pharmaceutical company because of its investment wow. interests and all this type of stuff. And, you know, there, there've been, there's not a lot of like uh, uh, rays of hope in this kind of health and dietary story, but for the first time in something like 30 years, like sugary beverage consumption had decreased, you know, wow. that Coca-Cola <clears> was experiencing, you know, a downtick in sales and stuff like that. And so, I think this kind of lo- uh, breakfast cereal was was on like the lowest trend that it had been in, in ages. And uh, so I think that these low carb ancestral health type messages were really starting to get some some traction. And what's interesting about these social networks, even though they've been really corrupted and can be very, very broken, people can compare notes at a shockingly rapid pace. It's like, hey, I, I did this and you know, well, I I want to try this and we can compare notes and it it, it happens so much faster than like peer reviewed literature or, or, you know, position papers from the U S department of agriculture or food and drug administration. And I I guess that that could happen for both the good and the ill, but I really think that this goes back to that, that point uh, very early in our conversation about can some people eat too much protein? Yes, Right is that the group of people we need to really worry about? Not really, you know, not, not really at the end of the day. So I think that this censorship stuff really is an outgrowth and that, you know, a conspiracy theory, whatever. But, um, I think that we were in a position to really start bootstrapping our own health and circumvent the, the dominant narrative. Like, I don't need Tufts nutrition anymore to tell me anything because they're, they're suspect and the, the information they put out doesn't comport with what what we're seeing. And they they never mention any of the studies that I I want to, you know, talk about. And so I I think that through social media, again, as as poisonous and and bad as it had has become, it was also an amazing opportunity to just kind of circumvent the dominant paradigms on a lot of different levels. And so that stuff is getting crushed. And some people are super excited about the notion that uh uh you know, some people like uh, Joe Mercola are, yeah. are being censored because, well, he was an anti-vaxxer and he was this right. and he was that. And, and I, I'm part of a, uh, I guess, kind of a professional group where practitioners and doctors that are in this low carb ancestral health scene, there's a couple of hundred of them in this email list. And there were people in there that were making the case that Mercola was terrible because of his anti-vaccine and all this type of stuff. And I just threw out there, I'm like, how many of you wrote rebuttal pieces about this? How many of you did anything to try to set this record straight? And I'm like, I'll I'll tell you because I just searched and there's nothing. You did nothing. You're just bitching about bad information and you did nothing to try to put it. Right. Right. You know, when this what the health piece came out, I wasn't excited about doing that, but in this same low carb network, like the basically, you know, sissing Cresser, like when things like this pop up, there's basically like a rock, paper, scissors. And I lost that one. And so I was tasked with basically
0: doing this, <laughs> you know, and so yeah.
1: 90, 90, hours of my life later, I, I had this thing that I put out, but that in my opinion is how you address shitty information. You put yeah. out better information, you put out better solutions and then we push like hell to help people achieve success with that. And that seems much more safe, much more honest, uh, much more reasonable. But uh, you know, when you, when you dovetail where we are now, and Diana Rogers and I experienced this releasing um, Sacred Cow, we focused on the environmental, ethical, and health considerations of a meat inclusive food system. Our initial draft was 600 pages. Got whittled down to 300 pages, and it was still like it's it's a lot of information. And some people in the the like regenerative ag scene absolutely crucified us, particularly Diana, because we didn't in sufficient depth cover the shortcomings of BIPOC represented people in the the regenerative ag scene. And we're like, let's do that in book two why don't you guys help us with that right and instead of being excited about that they nailed us to the wall for not covering every pet topic that they have which is just impossible
0: you can't you can't do you, it
1: yeah you can't do it and so we experienced a significant amount of censorship and kind of threatened deplatforming around that but it, it, and my point to, to this is that climate change has now been woven into food policy has been woven into the the social justice topics in such a way that now if you have benefited if if you individually your listeners have benefited from a meat inclusive food you know experience you are also going to have to fight the topics of climate change and social justice and you yeah. will probably face censorship or deplatforming <clears throat> in the process of, of trying to form some, some, even just have a discussion around it. Yeah. And this is the super dangerous, slippery slope of censorship that something that seems kind of good today will come back and will consume you later. And I mean, this has been done throughout history so many different times in so many yeah. different ways. Um, and I think I'm just kind of rambling now, but I mean, I, I think that the censorship topic is... Shockingly dangerous. I think it is really underappreciated. I, I'm stunned by the folks who are okay with it because they have a pet topic or a, a, a pet person that they don't like.
0: Right. So like, 30, like 30 bananas. Trump getting thrown off Twitter.
1: Yeah. Who, it's you know, prime whoever. example. So, so there's a lot of these raw vegan folks that I think are just assholes. They're kind of terrible yeah. people. And I think their information is terrible. And I would be horrified. If they were deplatformed, like yeah. I would be just absolutely horrified if these folks were expunged from the internet and they, they had no opportunity to, to voice their views. Like, let's have a debate. Let's have a debate right. of ideas. Let me put out my ideas and, or they, you know, uh, they're like a vegan diet's better for losing weight and getting healthy. Okay. Let, let's, let's talk get, about let, it. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's get 20 people that you're going to work with and 20 people that I'm going to work with. And let's look at some biomarkers and compare those, you know?
0: Yeah, Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I'm really comfortable with that last story. I'm not at all comfortable with um, deplatforming people. And if somebody is inciting violence directly, but that's kind of a whole funny thing, too. Silence is now violence. So, like, right. you're, you're, you know, right. you're, you're trapped in this thing. So, if you say or don't say things, and this is the stuff that I think folks d- dismiss or underappreciate, or they're smart enough to recognize that if they push back against it, they're going to get their heads lopped off. You yeah. know, they work for some company somewhere. And if they say anything, then people will mob tackle them and tell their employer that they're racist or it or yeah. climate change deniers or whatever the thing is. But this stuff has been woven together in such a, an interesting way that uh it I think it's just super dangerous. And it will yeah. end up limiting progress, it will end up limiting innovation, and people will will suffer as, as a consequence of it. And I'm, I'm still just a little bit stunned by how I feel like folks are very, very short sighted in in this whole thing. But again, I'm much more comfortable with a messy free world that we have to kind of, you know, elbow our, our, our way through it to establish what our worldview is versus assuming that, you know, government media, social media working together, have our best interests at heart and that we're just going to kind of let, let them run, run with this.
0: Yeah. It's so shocking to me how I've seen, you know, so many people that are yoga people. I just, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this morning. He owns a yoga studio. We've been friends for years and years and practiced together for over a decade. And we were just both like, I really can't stand yoga people because there's been this big divide now because of the pandemic. Um, And there's a lot of division that what I call, and some people would cancel me for saying this, there's segregation going on inside the city now, in studios and um, it's, it's terrifying to me and I want nothing to do with it, but it's like, you guys are the same people that I hung with that are always looking for alternative solutions and natural ways to um, heal and natural ways to live. And now you've swung the other way all of a sudden without even blinking, you know, and they, it's just like, people don't even realize what's going on and it's really difficult to, it's difficult to watch, and uh, I want to move uh, far, far away <laughs> and get a plot of land and a chest freezer and uh, a whole home generator. That's, That's I what never we did. I know. I'm so jealous. I'll, I'll
1: see. I'll see if I can do this without screwing everything up. Yeah. There's my Generac generator right outside my office window.
0: Amazing.
1: So yeah, I'm. I'm pretty much assuming that everything is going to go. <laughs> Horribly, horribly sideways. And that's pretty much the contingency planning that I'm doing. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I always wanted to live in the city. I grew up in the city. I loved being around culture and arts. And now I'm like, get me out of here, please. Like a friend of mine just bought a plot of land two hours south of here. She's starting to homestead. And if you had told me that like three years ago, I'd have been like, oh, that sounds terrible. Now I'm like, oh my God, she's living the dream, <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> it's it, it's funny. So long as I'm not on the interwebs, the world seems pretty good. Okay. I go to jujitsu, yeah. you know, my kids are we homeschool our kids, they yeah. they they do jujitsu and swimming and horseback riding, and we're very, very fortunate to be able to do all that stuff. But the world doesn't seem to be filled with horrible, terrible people for the most part. But we live in a pretty rural area. Um And it, 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 there's just, yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's different, but I, I, I fear for our children. I'll I'll be completely honest about that. Yeah. I do.
0: What's your biggest fear for our children?
1: The, the, the basic freedoms, you know, will, will, and really it feels like a divide and conquer thing. Like it feels like we're just trying to be fractionated in such a way that, um, it's reasonable to hate everybody and yes. everything because everybody is somehow because they think differently
0: fall. than you or yeah.
1: I have good good friends. I don't want to drag this out too much, but um I had I, dear friend that uh I lived with he and his family for the better part of a year. They they escaped Cambodia under the right. Khmer Rouge and they were pretty wealthy there. They were pretty well, you know, kind of high up the social pecking order, but every couple of days they would wake up and somebody in their community, the family was gone. Like the Khmer Rouge would show up in the middle of the night and collect the family and they were never seen again. And those folks had a harrowing story of escaping out of Cambodia, being in, in concentration camps on the, the Thai Cambodian border, eventually making it to the United States. But what he related, even though in Cambodia, it's kind of, pretty culturally and ethnically homogenized there's still some differences people in the south look a little bit different than people in the north who typically have a little more chinese heritage and stuff like that but by and large folks were kind of the same i mean again there's always kind of social differences you know class rankings and stuff like that but these absolutely what had been previously um Trivial distinctions between people were spun up by the government and, and their media in such a way that people felt completely comfortable with murdering a whole family and, wow. and millions of people. You know, the Cambodian Holocaust is something that that really gets virtually no air. No airtime, yeah. It's like three or four million people there. And it was their their own, and it wasn't a religious difference, it wasn't this or that, but they to to really consolidate power, the The communist regime spun up these these totally arbitrary distinctions. And and, uh, this is a really interesting story when you look at how uh, Serbia, Yugoslavia came apart, because, again, these were folks that there were religious differences there, but like uh, Christians, Muslims, uh, 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 some subsects within that they had lived among each other for generations, sometimes intermarrying and and really not a lot of drama. And then when this uh, kind of totalitarian government came in, they fostered such hatred among these different groups that had never existed before. Like all these grievances became the kind of the letter of the day and the thing that you had to focus on and and lots and lots of people died. And, uh, and I learned a ton about that from a, a guy, Faisal Boric, who's a Physician in Yugoslavia made it to the United States and uh his English was not quite good enough to ever manage to pass the medical boards here. Mm. So he was working as a lab technician, like this guy's like this decorated physician in Yugoslavia, and because his English was just a little bit off, he couldn't quite, you know, get over the hump to get his medical degree. And so he was working in a goddamn lab, you know. Wow. But we had a lot of time to talk about this stuff, and it was horrifying. So I've had to kind of direct real world experience talking to people who, who live through this and who flee And now there's nowhere to run. Like, there, yeah. you know, there, there was always at least somewhere to run to try to avoid this, but because of the pandemic and how all this stuff has really been woven together, there's, there's nowhere to go. So that is the thing that I'm really, really concerned about that the world that my kids will grow up in will be one of just identity politics and, and that the, the merits of the individual are lost on like race, gender, you know, all, all these other things, whether or not you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. Virtue signaling. Yeah. Yeah. The virtue. Absolutely.
0: Oh yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot heavy. And if you
1: want to delete all of that and just trim <laughs> it, I, I would not blame you. Um, if you keep it, that's fine too. I think we've reached a high watermark where people yeah. need to at least start talking about this stuff, if nothing else, so that when we look back in history, it's like, well, those people tried to. Do they were something. having conversations.
0: Least, yeah. It's a conversation, and you know, a lot of my stuff, I don't put out on my platform because of fear of censorship. There's a lot. I think that the, what I eat is the least interesting thing about me, honestly, the least right. interesting thing about me, but it's the thing that it has gotten me an audience and has people listening now. Um, and how I go and talk about these other things in my life and views that I have is just a delicate thing because of the whole censorship topic. It's like, I could lose everything if I have conversations like this, but I don't feel like that was so far out there that we need to delete her. Or- <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. I will leave it
1: up to your judgment. Yeah. Fair
0: I, yeah. I think we're good, but um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with me today. I feel like we could probably tra- talk another, <laughs> another long while here, but we both have other things to attend to and So I thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you if they want to work with you or join your Healthy Rebellion group? What's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, uh, robwolf.com is probably the main spot. You can track down links to the Healthy Rebellion. I do a lot of writing and work for Element, and that's drinkelement.com. And really honored to be on your show and really appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, The people like you, Amy Berger, we, we may not have the largest followings, but what I've found it. So here's a great uh, uh, story. There was a gal on Instagram that had, um, 2.8 million followers or something, beautiful gal. She's a model and everything like very, gorgeous. And, uh, she spun up a t-shirt that she wanted to sell and she, she couldn't sell 30 t-shirts. And so they made this point that, you know, really, unsubstantial methods of producing a following don't really translate into much in the way of influence. Whereas I, I think that the folks that engage you, engage Amy Berger, hopefully myself, I think we punch way above our weight class, so that I guess is is what's worth saying. And And for folks that are listening that maybe have a platform that might be modest in size, if you are helping people and you're really providing some value and you're just trying to to navigate things in a a nuanced, detailed way. I I think that, uh, uh, you know, having the ear of a thousand people is a really remarkable thing. You know, I I grew up in a small town of like 35,000 people. So if you can gain the, the trust of a thousand people and like you're doing good by them, you're really making a shocking, potentially massive impact on on the world and in a, a good way. So I appreciate what you're doing. And, you know, for the, for your listeners, like just remember the, the you know, the hubbub and hyperbole, um, although it is algorithmically rewarded, it doesn't necessarily translate into have an impact in the real world.
0: Agree. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on and chatting with me today. It's been awesome. Take care. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did recording it. Again, yeah, at the end there, we did get into the censorship topic, which is... Yeah, it's it's quite a bit of a rabbit hole and it really does make you think. I mean that's that's the whole point of my podcast really is to make people think and to step outside of that comfort zone just a little bit to expand your mind and, and look at new ideas, look at different ideas. So I hope this conversation was helpful. We talked about so, so, so many things. As I mentioned in the middle of the episode, please head on over to Apple, leave me up to a five-star review. You can tag me over on social media, share this episode with anybody who you feel could benefit from hearing it. And don't forget to check out Upgraded Formulas. My code is YOGI12 for 12% off of anything on their website top of my list is always that hair tissue mineral analysis with a consultation and very very close second would be their upgraded formulas magnesium which helps me get up to three hours a night of deep sleep which is so awesome so i hope you guys do check them out my code again is yogi12 for 12% off of anything on their website and thank you so much for listening to today's episode have a great episode planned for next week so make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you can get it as soon as I release it all right y'all I will talk with you next week have a great rest of your day